A question from one of the forum members goes as follows. Uh, you say you can visit another PMR as an observer, or you can take a body. Either way, if you do take a body, do you just have to? Uh, sorry, do you just pop in and pop out when nobody will notice, or do you actually have to stay in that other PMR from birth to death? Uh, I ask this because a friendship I had with a coworker once seemed very much like someone that was sent to interact with me to see what I would actually do. They made themselves vulnerable. And I was given every opportunity to harm them in serious ways, which I didn't. It didn't seem normal, though. It seemed like a setup. This happened before I knew about the big picture. Tom, what do you think of that one? Well, uh, no, you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to be born there to have a body there. You can just drop in um, and assume a body. Uh, you have to do it discreetly, and that's part of the. You know. I, I kind of make the joke, you need to have a hall pass, you know, to go down that particular hall. You need to have earned the trust of the system to allow you to do that. So if one of the ways you earn that trust is by not creating problems in that other reality frame. So you don't suddenly materialize a body in the middle of a, you know, of a, of a dinner party someplace, you know, in the middle of the table, you know, like a girl popping out of a cake, you know, you don't, uh, you know, you don't do that sort of thing. That would uh, get your hall pass <laughs> revoked by uh, the larger consciousness system. So you have to be subtle. You have to not create problems. You have to not leave things behind. You not have to take things with you. You know, you just basically have to have to abide by some of the some of the rules, and then you can uh, assume a body and interact just like you were born there, even though you weren't. And when you're ready to go, that body has to disappear in the same way it appeared, which is very subtly in ways that don't make any ripples or cause any problems. Uh, typically, those visits are short, and they uh, don't uh, generate a lot of background. So it's not like you go there, and you're there long enough to you know, fall in love, get married, and have a family, and then you, know, you disappear. You know, typically the whole visit is a, is a relatively short visit over maybe, a, maybe, you know, a few hours, maybe a few days, maybe even a few weeks. But you keep interactions to the point that it's easy to bow out and disappear and nobody thinks anything strange about it. Uh, and they don't think anything's too strange about the appearance. There's always strangers that are coming around from somewhere or another. So it, uh, it's one where you have some responsibility. But you can just take a take a body and and uh, and be part of it just for the experience. Now that means that you can sometimes have a being that's performing a cameo role. You know what a cameo role is a, is a role where where a, an actor comes in, does a does a brief part for you know for a very brief amount of time and then disappears. It's called a cameo role. They really weren't one of the main characters. They just kind of jump in do their part and and then leave. Well, maybe this person that he's talking about uh, was like that, maybe not, you know, it's just those things can happen. And you have lots of stories of things like that, you know, somebody falls in a ditch and they're down at the bottom of the ditch and they're out in the woods someplace and they can't get out, it's too high and they're just gonna stay down there and starve to death and suddenly somebody shows up, throws them a rope, pulls them to the top, and then points them in the right direction and nobody ever saw this person, nobody ever heard of them again. It's just like it was a cameo role. They popped in, did something they needed to do, and then they left again. Or they may have come you know, to this person and uh, gave them opportunity to abuse them or whatever, just because that was a test that they needed to have. That was a set of choices that they needed to make. And maybe they had made those choices badly in other lifetimes. And now it looked like they were going to succeed in not making those same mistakes. And that was just a, to help cement that new knowledge, to uh, give it a test, if you will. And maybe that person then just kind of faded out of existence. I don't know anything about other than what you know about from what you read. So whether that's the case or not, it's hard to say. But cameo roles do happen every now and again, where somebody just seems to appear 
has a function, you know, sort of like synchronicity. They just show up at the right place at the right time, perform a function for somebody, and then kind of somehow disappear. That's kind of typically the way that's done. So the visitations where you take on a body are usually short to the point and have a purpose, and you don't uh, get entangled in relationships or other things that would then create problems when you need to go home. Right. That makes sense. Thank you very much, Tom. Um, I know you say we choose to attend this this school or this kindergarten, but um, someone asks, are we allowed to drop out before we graduate? If so, can we then incarnate into a different PMR in that instance? Are we allowed to return to this PMR to get our GED, so to speak? Um, <laughs> this, <laughs> this person asks this because some people – other than yourself, seem to suggest that we can't leave the reincarnation loop simply because we don't realize that we can or believe that we simply can't. Uh, well, no, we can. You, again, you have free will. You're never forced to do something that's against your free will. You always have choice. So if what you say is, I don't want to go back there, and you stick to that, and then now when you recombine, re, re-merge, if you will, with your individuated unit of consciousness, you may have a wholly different attitude. You say your, your, your individuated unit of consciousness may not, may not maintain that attitude that, uh, that you have, and it may just eagerly go right back, even though you swore you'd never come back. So that can happen. But otherwise, if you maintain that attitude and you say, no, we don't want to go back there. We've just had 10 incarnations there. All of them have been failures. It's just not, you know, I need to go someplace where I have a higher chance of success, someplace not so challenging. You know, do you have anything that's easier? You know, you might have that kind of a request. Then surely there's some place that's easier or some situation that's easier that you might get because, a whole string of failures means that you're probably in over your head, making poor decisions, and you need a place where you have fewer decisions. Maybe the thing then for you would be would be come back as a golden retriever. You say you have fewer fewer decisions to make, and maybe you won't fail in that thing. Maybe you won't bite the hand that feeds you. You know, maybe you'll lick the hand that feeds you, and that will be a good experience. But anyway, yes, there's other ways for you to interact there's other there's other reality frames for you to use there's always other choices and uh, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to now the system may when you when you return to your individual unit of consciousness it will have some idea of what it wants to do where it wants to do it because it's actually the parent it was the thing that spawned the free will awareness unit that was that was you you know involved with that with that avatar so it's really your source, and you don't dominate the source. You were just a, a some piece of that source that was put in a virtual reality trainer in order to grow up. When you go back and merge with that source, you see, you're not necessarily in charge of the source. So the source will do what the source wishes. So we have to have the idea that we, as free will awareness units, we do our interaction in our incarnation. We learn or we fail to learn or we regress. We do whatever we do. And then that experience packet with that avatar is done. Then you return to the larger consciousness system. And I don't mean that. You return to your, your individuated unit of consciousness within the larger consciousness system. So you then are part of this IUOC, and this IUOC decides where it wants to place another part of itself, another free will awareness unit that it's going to pull out of itself, which now contains your experience, whether that pulled it up or pulled it down or whatever, better or for worse, that whole individuated unit of consciousness now contains your part that you contributed to it for whatever you did to it. and. So part of that experience is part of the whole and part of that whole will then make another free will awareness unit and it will go try to learn and grow up just like you did. So it's not that you, the individual that, that, that is connected to the avatar, you're just a piece of something bigger. 
It's not that you as that individual persist forever. That's a piece of your IUOC that is engaged in this virtual reality entropy reduction trainer. And when that's done, your IUOC learns something. Like I say, it, it progresses or it regresses or it stays the same. But whatever it is, it's changed some way because it now has your input. And it takes that input out of its, of its hole, creates another free will awareness unit, and tries some other reality frame, back at that reality frame, wherever it thinks it's got the highest chance of succeeding in lowering its entropy. So that's the way the game is played. It's, it's not so much that you, the free will awareness unit, persists forever. Your individuated unit of consciousness is continuous. It pretty much is going to persist forever. You're just a part of that. You're a piece of it that's having an experience packet. Now, a lot of people get very upset with that idea because they want to continue on just as they are forever and ever. They always want to be Joe Jones. They always want Joe Jones to be in charge of whatever, but they have to realize they're part of something bigger. They're part of, of an individuated unit of consciousness, and that's the parent. They will remerge with that, and then that thing, that IUOC will decide what to do next. So um, if that kind of gets your ego wrapped around the actual because your ego you know, doesn't want to be part of something bigger, it wants to be the thing that's bigger. It wants to be bigger than anything. It wants to be the boss. And that's the way your ego feels about it. Then you're going to have a problem with that. If not, you'll feel that it's a wonderful idea. You've got this cumulative thing that's having experience from thousands of lifetimes, all merging together, you know, picking the best, you know, learning from the worst and moving forward. And for you to be a part of that and to be a piece of it, that's wonderful. You're an important piece. You're a part of the evolution. And if you see it that way, then you'll be a real happy camper with this idea. If your ego wants to be in charge always, then you will have a problem because you're just a piece, a fragment of this IUOC. You're not it. And uh, you are a cooperative. You are part of a cooperative effort of all the lifetimes for this IUOC to grow up. So I think that's a big, I'm putting a little extra time on this because I think a lot of people get uh, wound up over this particular distinction and uh, they have a lot of ego invested in, in uh, the continuation, not of their consciousness, but of them as a personality. And that's not the way the game works. You as the personality are the free will awareness unit you will remerge with your parent and the parent will then produce another incarnation wherever it thinks it's best for it to lower its entropy. Thanks, Tom. You know, we're, we're back to our old friend, the ego again there, you know, um, he's yeah. always popping up, you know, where is my question then, Tom is where does the ego actually come from? Why is it made so difficult for us to, to advance and do these things? Why can't it just be easy? You know, I mean, I know it's not meant to be easy, but you know, why, why is it so difficult? Why is that ego there all the time? Ego is awareness in the service of fear. Okay, so you are an IUOC. That's your fundamental thing. You're, you're an individuated unit of consciousness and you make these avatars. I mean, you make these free will awareness units to go off, connect with avatars in the game in order to evolve yourself. But you're a free, you're a, you are an individuated unit of consciousness. You have entropy. You have fear. Okay? You have ego. This, this is what you're trying to get rid of. This is what you're trying to evolve. And you have awareness. Inasmuch as you have awareness that's in the service of your fear, that's your ego. That's what ego is. So the reason we have this ego is because we haven't outgrown it. It's just, it's just the part of, part of consciousness. Consciousness has free will. You see, the free will allows you to make choices, which means you can make bad choices as well as make good choices. You can make choices based upon your fear. You can make choices based upon your love and those choices 
affect how you evolve. So you can evolve to more fear, you can evolve toward more love. So now here we are, a whole bunch of IUOCs, and we've done all sorts of things. Some of us evolve more toward love, some toward fear, some go toward fear for a while, and then move toward love for a while, and some do the opposite. So we are these, these IUOCs, and we're kind of all over the place and where we have evolved and how evolved we are. So in as much as our awareness is in the service of our fear, that's ego. So why do we have this ego and why is it so hard? Because that's us. That's our IUOC. That's the level at which we are. And our job is to grow up, to somehow decrease that entropy. So our IUOC is now a little less fearful. So we have to, you know, we have to grow up a little. That's how the IUC grows up, by projecting parts of itself into these uh, fast track, you know, uh, virtual realities where they have lots of interaction with feedback because that's the fast track for growing up. So we're that strategy and our job is to, is to grow up so that if we're, if we're incarnation number 1000, then hopefully 1000 will pull the other 999 up a little bit because we learned so much and got rid of a lot of fear. You see, so as we get rid of the fear of the whole, then the fear of that IUOC, it's not just us that we got rid of fear for our free will awareness unit. We got rid of fear for the whole individuated unit of consciousness. We pull the whole thing up. So that's what, that's what we're, we're doing. So it's, it's not that we're given this burden. It's that the burden is ours. We've evolved to be what we are. And now we need to try to do better than what we are. So it's that sort of thing. So why do we all have it? Well, because that's what we evolved to have. That's the way it is. We started wherever we started back when the individuated unit or back when the, uh, the, the um, larger consciousness system kind of broke itself into pieces for interaction. We just start however we were. And then after that, we evolved and we evolved forward and backward and sideways every which way. And now here we are, these pieces of consciousness, and we're trying to work our way toward no fear. It's not easy. It's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not easy. No, it's not easy at all. I mean, we take a whole lifetime just to take one step. You know, it's not, uh, it's not all that easy. But, yeah. you know, as, as hard as it seems, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Sure. So it gets easier and easier. And the first step is, is like, is always the hardest. That's the most difficult to get that first step. Seems like it's almost impossible. And then that second step is easier. And the third step's easier yet. And pretty soon you're just dropping off entropy because it's fun and it's not hard at all. And it gets to be an easier thing to do, but it's a challenge but a challenge gets easier. So that's the good news. As hard as it seems, it, it will get easier if you continue to work at it. Well, you, it sounds like you're, you're my, my lovely wife, Donna, telling me that I should start going to the gym. The first step is hard, but once I do that, it'll, that'll be easy as well, you know? <laughs> so we, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. Thanks for clarifying that for me, Tom. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, do it. yeah, please go ahead, my friend. Um, um, I just, when, when I walk through life and I see people, I see, see the world as it is. And there's always that, that thinking in me um, with a bad attitude to everything that tells me um, that, um, that it, I, how, um, it's a really bad energy inside my thoughts about people. And, the, and I'm asking myself, who's the being level when I, uh, for example, then I, I see someone doing something and I think to myself, he's doing it the wrong way. And why is he such an idiot? And I ask myself, who's saying that he's an idiot? It's not me because I'm so full of love. Is there a force inside <laughs> telling me something? Is, is that my ego? And then I try to do something. Um, I, I, uh, my being level would say something, hey, you're an idiot. And um, But this consciousness tells me, um, don't say it because you're a love-giving person. 
and just keep it by yourself. But why do I have this duality inside when I, I'm so aware about it and it's still there? I have really a hard conflict every time and uh, I know that I have to act from the from the love level just but it's it's not I'm not maybe I'm, it's not the being level so mm -hmm. you understand my question my English is yes. not what I'm yes. talking no, about no I understand it fine uh, what is what is going on is that 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 um, condescension or uh, you know you're doing it wrong kind of thing is coming out of your being level and indeed that's what's inside that's what you are at your core but you know better at the intellectual level you're aware that that is not a good way to be that uh, you should be more loving you should be caring you should have compassion oh look at that poor sir person you know they're they're making misery for themselves and others and aren't even aware of it um, have compassion for that person and think is there anything you could do to help and a lot of times there isn't but uh, instead of feeling superior or like they're messing up you just see it it's just people doing the best they can with what they have and and uh it's just it's like that you kind of have to accept that that's the way people are and if you can help help and if you can't well they're going to have to grow up on their own kind of an attitude so you have compassion for them and your intellect knows that that is a good thing and that is the way you should be because you've read the books and you've thought about it you've studied it and you know that compassion and love and caring is the right approach yet inside at the being level you still have that i don't know what's the matter with that jerk you know you still have that that negativity that just means that you're you're acting out ahead of your being level and that's probably a good thing because often like i said earlier the the intellect leads and the being level will then sometimes follow but it'll only do that if you go if you feel just like you feel you see you're aware of it and you don't like it you're aware of it and you see the conflict and that means you're on the process of changing your being level because if you weren't aware of it that would just mean that you have these two you have these two uh, sources you got the intellect that's a good actor and you got the being level that's you know still has a fair amount of ego and fear in it and those two are just going along pretending the other doesn't exist but you're not like that you're doing it and you're catching yourself and you're saying that's a problem but not only should you say that's a problem you should go back into the Yeah, that experience. What is the fear that drives you to say you're doing it wrong? What's the fear that's the source of that? Is it you who are trying really to tell yourself, I know better than that. I'm better than that person. I'm more advanced than that person. Look what they're doing. I wouldn't do that. And is, a, is that then covering over a fear of feeling maybe inadequate, like maybe you aren't such a great person, but you'd like to think that you were. So see, there's a fear someplace that's driving that ego. And you need to find that fear, go back to the root and say, where does that come from? Why do I feel that way about that person? Well, I'm just comparing myself to them because by comparison, I look good. I don't do that, you see. And why would you want to make that comparison? Well, I just make the comparison because it's obvious and makes me look good. And I like looking good. And see, there's your ego. Now, why do you care about looking good? Well, it's because I'm not really so sure that I am good. So I really like it when I look good. Now you've gotten down to the fear of, you see, at the bottom of it all is that you're really not quite so sure you're so good. And then that's the that's the fear that causes you to do that so once you do that then you have to own that fear yes okay i recognize that fear i'm not going to push it under the rug i'm not going to deny it there it is that's me i am that way now what am i going to do about it and what you do about it is the next time that bubbles up you know where it's coming from you know it's coming from that fear and you just say that's wrong no i'm not going to be that way then you look at that person again instead of saying what a stupid jerk you say wow you know 
I wish there was something I could do to help them. Look, uh, they're not happy people. I feel, I feel sad for them. You see, and you have that feeling instead of making yourself look better in comparison. So it's a struggle, yes. But if you keep working at it, it'll get easier and easier to where that, that, that ego actually goes away because you get rid of that fear. Okay, I am just who I am. And maybe I'm not as good as I should be, but this is what I am. And I'm going to work on improving it. That's the place you want to be. Not, well, I'm not so good as I should be, and I'm going to try to cover that up because that doesn't feel good to me, so I'll notice when everybody else does something stupid that I wouldn't do. You see? So that's what you're experiencing is probably what most all seekers, all people are on a growth path, experience what you're experiencing. They experience this dichotomy between who they'd like to be and who they really are. And they will change that who they really are if they find the fear, face it, accept it, and then have the courage to, you know, be different, to grow, to let go of that. And usually when you accept that fear is when it loses its bite. It's when you try to push that fear under the rug is when it creates all the ego reactions. But once you pull that out, then it tends to dissipate. So almost every seeker who really is making an effort to grow up has the same experience you do in that they, they see this, this Jekyll and Hyde, you know, inside of them. They're sometimes really nice and they're sometimes not so nice. And it's, it bothers them when they're not so nice, but somehow they don't seem to get over it because it keeps happening. So that's the struggle. And the solution is find the fear at the root of it, accept that fear, and then uh, just have the courage to not go there. Don't feel that way. And it's hard, but eventually uh, that will work. The fear will dissipate and you'll stop seeing things like that. And instead of, instead of putting people down, you'll be having great empathy for them and seeing what you can do to help. And so it's a good sign in a way. It shows you're a serious seeker of growth because people who are not seriously seeking growth never feel that way. They, they look at that person and they say, oh, what a loser, you know, and they go on. They never get that pang later that says, oh, that's not appropriate. I shouldn't be feeling that way. You see, so the fact that you, that you do have this dichotomy, this struggle going on means that you're on your way to getting over it. You're being successful. You've taken the first step, which is realizing there's a problem. And that's, that's a first step that probably 90% of the population never gets to. So um, you're, doing, you're doing well. Just uh, go after the root cause and let that, let that fear go. And the fear will be easier to let go than you think. The reason that it's hard to let go is that you're not dealing with it directly. It's kind of a hidden fear that you don't know you have. And as long as it's hidden, it's hard to let go of it because you don't really know that it's there. So that's why getting to know that fear and accepting it and then getting rid of it, um, you're really on your way to doing that. So it's, you know, in a way, it's a, it's a very, very good, good sign that you that you're able to see that problem. It'll go away. Just work on it. Thank you. Good question, Ford. Um, excellent. Um, Tom, during the, um, the last fireside chat, um, a guy called Jack on the forum asked a question um, about the positive effects of an improved quality of consciousness, that, uh, how that would have on his physical health issues. You gave him a great answer, um, and he had a follow-up to, to your answer. Um, what he said was, if I did choose before this incarnation to likely develop a chronic illness here, would this have been to increase the likelihood that I would return to my previous, sorry, return to my previous uh, QSC quality of consciousness rather than getting stuck in a lower level from my life influences as sort of a fast track tool to do so? And if so, would this be to help ensure that I spend the rest of my life here evolving my consciousness further still? Again, we never know for sure, you know, the, the, the uh, logic or the mechanism or the, the, uh, 
point behind the things that happened to us, but uh, it's possible that all that might be uh, might be uh, true the way the way that it is. An illness could be kind of in the plan, so that uh, that uh, would would uh, stress you or would challenge you in very specific ways to have to deal with that with that illness. Um, it would teach you certainly compassion for people who are ill. If you experience illness yourself, you know, you would get at least that much that out of it. Um, could be part of a plan or an awful lot of what happens to us just happens to us. You know, we're here in this, this uh, virtual reality with uh, seven and a half billion other interactors. We're all interacting with each other. We all affect each other. And um, sometimes we all infect each other and illnesses get passed around. And so it's just, some of it's just chance. It's just the way it happened to be, or maybe you're the way that uh, chromosomes, uh, you know, from both parents just happened to get together. And during that gestation period, uh, something happened that, that didn't quite work right. So now your biochemistry is a little off and you just have to deal with it. So it doesn't mean that when these things happen that they're always a plan. Often they just happen, but that's, in a in a bigger sense, that is the plan in this reality, and that stuff just happens, and we have to deal with it. You know, that's the plan, and that's what makes this reality so good. As far as a teacher, is that you never know what's going to happen. You've got all of this interaction going on that drives all sorts of things, and we have this wide range of experiences that we can have here, and we just have to deal with them as they come up. So it makes this a very valuable learning tool. It's not a, you know, it's not a given. So even if you have a plan, the plan sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. Sometimes there's a plan for two people to meet and do something together and they never meet. They end up totally apart or they meet and don't like each other. You know, it's, uh, it's just hard to uh, make a plan and make it stick. It takes a lot of nudging and uh, good luck for plans to work. So an awful lot of what we do here is just what happens and we deal with it. It's just the way the system is. There's so much uncertainty here that uh, it's a, it's a, it's always a grab bag full of interesting things to deal with. Okay. Thanks, Tom. I hope um, Jack gets the answer he wants from that. that uh, that's great. Uh, next, uh, we have several questions from our regular contributor, Jesse. Um, the first, straightforward, very quick, very short. What are viruses and cancers on a fundamental level in the MBT theory? Well, to one, one way of looking at it, viruses and, and cancers... Now, he probably said viruses with uh, an attitude that viruses are bad things that cause people to get ill, but all viruses aren't bad things that cause people to get ill. There are things called viruses that uh, are even friendly to us and that we use. We harness them to do things. But anyway, uh, what are these things? These are things that have just evolved under the rule set in this virtual reality. Remember, this is a virtual reality started with a rule set and a set of initial conditions. And after that, it just goes and it evolves and it produces what it produces. So we've got amoebas and we've got uh, bacteria, we've got uh, uh, viruses and all sorts of other things just because those are things that evolved. They were stable forms that persisted and uh, they're very hardy stable forms that persist. They're very good at uh, rearranging themselves to fit different environments. So they're pretty hardy things. So that's just part of our rule set. It's just the way things are. And uh, we have adapted to live with them for the most part. And some places where we haven't, they might make us ill. Some places uh, we are, we are uh, we're dependent on them. We certainly couldn't digest our food if there weren't bacteria, you know, involved in it. So some places we work together, some places we're at odds, but it's just another thing to deal with. It's part of our environment. And uh, cancer is like that too. It's a biological process that, you know, produces a cell whose reproductive process is 
abnormal. It just keeps reproducing and reproducing and reproducing when it shouldn't. So all that reproduction produces more cells than you need. They consume more of the blood supply than they, you know, than they would otherwise need, and you end up with a tumor. And that's uh, a problem. So it's just a part of our rule set in biology. There's lots of ways things can go together. There's lots of uncertainty. And uh, of all the things that are possible, you know, what really, whatever, what happens is that random draw from the probability distribution. And sometimes you get things out under the tails of the curve. You get strange things and, and sometimes, most of the time you don't. But it's just a part of, of existence under this rule set and the initial conditions we started with. And it's just part of also what we have to deal with. What is our challenges to deal with all of this stuff? It's why this reality is interesting. That's why these physical virtual realities are such a fast track learning place because there is so much to deal with here. So many challenges and so many interactions and so many ways to learn so much feedback. It's why it's so useful. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Jesse's next question begins, dear Merlin. <laughs> Every time someone asks you a question, do you access the Akashic records for information? Now that's just a metaphor for the database, right? Yeah, that's just a metaphor for the databases. And we have several databases and, the answer to that is kind of yes and no, and it's not, you know, we talked earlier about uh, the ways of, of uh, making tools that help us assess situations and assess people. So Ingeborg gave us a tool, and by using that tool or by using Myers-Briggs or any of the other of these tools, you can help assess a person and where that's where that interaction is going and the, and the kind of way that interaction will be because you know how you are and now you kind of know how they are and you kind of know how that interaction will play out and what the best way is for you to, to interact if you're going to get the most out of it. And so they're very helpful tools by making these, uh, you know, categorizing like that. But eventually, if you get to know these tools really, really well, you stop using them. They become internalized. They become part of your intuition. They just part of what you do. You don't really think about, oh, he's an NTJP and that means this, so I should do that. You get the intellect out of it and you just interact and you know the kind of connection and it just kind of happens intuitively. You you let go of the, of the tool set because you've internalized the tools now. You're doing all that computation automatically, if you will, and uh, you don't have to think it through with the intellect. Well, that's kind of the way I am when I'm interacting with people. I've done this so much and for so long that it's just habit for me without thinking about it. When I, when somebody asks me a question, the first thing I do is I have to kind of join with that person's intent to understand what they mean by the question. What is it they're trying to get at? What is their problem that they don't understand? What's their sticking point? Why did they ask the question? So, you know, a little bit of that, uh, you know, Vulcan mind meld thing, and you, you get with that person, you get that information back, and then you know how to answer it better. Now you can answer it in a way that suits them. Suits, you remember earlier I said, if you're gonna teach somebody, you have to give them information they can process. If you don't give them information they can process, then they just don't get what you're saying. They, they brush it aside. Well, that's the other thing I do. I have to understand that individual. I have to understand uh, some of their beliefs, some of their issues, some of the things that would not be processable by them. So I try to do all of that in order to make my answer as effective and helpful as I can to that individual. But I don't do all of this intellectually. I don't say, hmm, got to go to the database and get this, and now I got to get that, and you know, do all that. By now, I just internalize all of that, and I just do it automatically, and it just all kind of comes up, and I get a dump that helps lead me into how it is I need to answer the question, and then I just follow that without really thinking about it. So it's not so much an intellectual process as it just is a way of interacting with people that kind of naturally develops over time. So yes, I do all that in a, in a sense, but no, I don't really 
purposely go about doing all of that. Sometimes if I, if I really have a hard time getting a good intuitive answer, I may, you know, intellectually go in and process that. Uh, sometimes you notice when you ask me a question and I'll sit here and my eyes will go shut and I'll kind of, you know, wobble around a little bit and then you know, I'll open my eyes and I'll answer the question. Well, sometimes I'm kind of reaching out for uh, that information because it didn't come quickly like it always does. Sometimes I need to go see if I, you know, if I explain it like this, will I have a good, will they really understand that well, or will that be in language that they don't understand that they can't process? So I have to go do a little bit of that sometimes to see whether or not how I should answer the, the question. I can, I can lead people a little bit. I can even push them just a little bit, but not too much to see a bigger picture. And I also, at the same time, I have to take into consideration that something like you know, 100,000 people are going to listen to this. And of the 100,000 people that are going to listen to it, what's going to be the effect on that 100,000 people? Because if it's just you and I having a conversation, and I'm very open and just telling you whatever, but that's something that is not well understood at all in the general public, I'm liable to create more trouble, you see. I may have answered your question very well, and you get a lot out of it but I may have said something that'll disturb 10,000 people, you see, because they're not ready to deal with it that way. Well, I have to be aware of that too, because there's gonna be a lot of people listening to this. So I will censor myself sometimes and give an answer that I think will be helpful to you, but also something that's not unhelpful to other people. And that's probably the harder part of it. I have to be aware of the larger audience all the time and, uh, some sometimes it's it's uh, that's kind of the controlling factor as to whether or not the larger audience is going to uh, uh, you know be able to deal with the answer or not. So yeah, so I got a lot of things going on in my head all the time while I'm while I'm talking to you, but mostly it's not an intellectual process. Mostly it's just an intuitive process. All right, Tom. Thanks for that. Okay, next we're going to go to take a question from Bill, who's over in Northern Ireland. Now, he hasn't got the best connection at the moment, so he's, he's listening, and we should be able to hear him. So uh, let's see how that goes. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, just a quick one with regard to uh, uncertainty and what seems to be kind of a, an ev allowable in everyday life or allowable to be seen or experienced. With advancement in new technology, and I'm, I'm talking about specifically plasma technology that's kind of developing at the moment um, with uh, healing and, and, and travel and other bits and pieces. Because it's public and evolving, will that expand what would what would be allowable uh, side events, allowable side events in everyday life? Because it seems to be uh, pretty pretty radical stuff compared to uh, Okay, well, I got bits and pieces of it. Probably enough I can construct a, a uh, an answer. Uh, you've developed a uh, some technology that's going to um, be very effective, perhaps in healing modality, and it will um, produce results that are rather dramatic. And will these dramatic results somehow get entangled with the psi? uncertainty uh, principle to where they're they are giving too much away or uh, you know telling people things they're not ready for or that kind of thing that will all work itself out uh, I would say go ahead and and uh, and don't worry about what the science uncertainty principle is going to do go ahead with your technology make it as good and as effective as you possibly can use it to the greatest potential that you can and make sure that potential is a very positive, loving one and not uh, one of uh, um, that's, that's uh, in a, at a higher entropy. And then just let things work out as they do. And what you will probably find is that those people who are ready and can process what it is your technology does will come and use the technology and it'll be very helpful. And those that can't, you just won't see them. They'll just never show up. They'll never come. They won't watch the video. They won't, you know, they won't pay any attention to the news report. They'll just ignore 
the whole thing. That is usually the way those things are, are solved. So what probably won't happen is that it will make such a big splash that everybody on the planet suddenly, uh, you know, has to deal with a new reality. That probably won't happen. And you would hope for that. And rationally, you might think that that would happen. Wow, if we come out with this, it's just going to be everywhere and it's going to make a big splash. And if everybody's ready, it will do that. And if everybody's not, it won't. And uh, though one would think rationally that it should, it just won't. And that's typically the way those things end up. But don't let it constrain you and what you can do. Do everything that you can do that's as helpful as you can be to people. Offer it with love and with caring and let everything else just take care of itself. All the rest of it will will adjust. And the Psy Uncertainty Principle will uh, do whatever it has to do to, to um, keep us all on an even keel. You know, the Psy Uncertainty Principle is not a law. It's not part of the rule set. It's like it's more like company policy and company policy can change based on the company. You know, so as we grow up as a as a race, as we lower our entropy, that policy will change. There will be, uh, you know, less enforcing of science certainty because the public will be able to deal with it in a positive way. So that's another thing, you know, science certainty is not a fixed rule. It's a, it's a kind of a policy. It's a variable that can, that can shift. So as you develop this and as it grows, well, as the population evolves, you know, it might, how it interacts with the population could, could change dramatically. It's not a fixed, it's not a fixed thing. That's why I say, don't let that science uncertainty um, principle influence what you do. You just do what you do to be as good as you can do it. And then everything else will just take care of itself. The system can, can deal with whatever it is you do and it'll just have to, it'll just have to deal with it. That's part the system same is in the same boat. We are things happen and it just has to deal with them. Just, just like us. So you do what you do and the system will just have to deal with it. And that'll be fine. It'll, it'll find a, a good way to deal with it. Uh, thanks, Tom. Obviously, Bill did have a, a weak connection there. He was talking about a technology that wasn't necessarily his. He's actually talking about something from the Keisha Foundation, who are doing public teachings on it, but uh, and it's, it's very forward. So that's the technology he's talking about, but yeah. it's the same application. Yeah. Okay, next, I'm going to give you a question from Sveta, who I know is listening right now up in the Boston area. She says, hi, Tom. One can't help but notice that the type of information you're sharing has never been available to humanity before. I'm not sure. Uh, not through science, certainly not this easily, and certainly not this whole encompassing. Why now? Do you know? Yes, and yes, yeah, she's right. It's not been available like this before. A lot of the basic concepts have been available for you know thousands of years, but not as a science, as she says. You know, not like this, not so straightforward and uh, and logical and uh, understandable in this way. That's different. So why now? Well, <laughs> you know, it's not that this just sort of randomly happened now. You know, this is part of a process that. I've been involved with over many lifetimes and it's, it's not a, you know, so it, it's not like something that just happened to come together all of a sudden it's been in the planning and in the execution for, you know, a few hundred years anyway. And it's available now because now is the time that we can actually do something about it. And if you look at the, uh, talk I gave in Spokane. Uh, I, I took a lot more time than I would be able to take right here to explain that, but this is a time for the first time in the history of the existence of humanity. We have all the tools we need to grow, to succeed in our evolutionary uh, goals here. And that's because we now have the communication infrastructure in the form of the internet where 
ideas and concepts are worldwide now. It's not that, uh, you know, a, a very learned, learned uh, guru, a person of great understanding and great love stands up and talks and all the people in his village understand and, and uh, you know, grow up and do better because, you know, the next village was three days walk away and, you know, they just didn't have that much traffic. So these bubbles of enlightenment that I call them have been bubbling up for thousands and thousands of years, but they've always been localized. They've always been, um, you know, within areas and within regions. And then by the time they begin to grow and spread across multiple villages and so on, they also begin to dilute. And we, we have, uh, you know, uh, dogmas get included to them and some rules and some, some uh, rituals and other things. So as they spread, they tend to also become inclusive of a lot of other ideas and it's, it uh, dilutes itself. Well, we don't necessarily have that anymore. We have the internet, we have uh, computers, we have Google, and ideas can travel now at the speed of light around through satellite systems and beam down anywhere in the world. So that's different. Now these little bubbles of enlightenment can come together, can start to reinforce each other, can start to grow. We've been working on this for a long, long time, ever since we were, you know, came out of the trees and started off as a separate species called Homo sapiens. And we finally now gotten to the point where our environment is kinder and gentler enough for people to care and spend time thinking about things other than survival and just getting by and not starving to death and not being run through by you know somebody else's spear you know this is the this is the time and when i say time and i'm talking about the last 300 years well 300 years in the millions of years we've been evolving is an eye blink it's just you know the last half second you know in the in, in the day of our evolution or so it's it's not uh, it's not been very long so we just have over the last several hundred years gotten to a, an environment that was supportive of people coming together here on a, uh, on a wonderful piece of software that makes videos of us all talking and answering questions that go out on an internet that 100,000 people or 200,000 will, will be able to, to think about and listen to and uh, it will affect their lives, you see, and as it affects their lives, they will affect other lives. And it, it, uh, it grows that way. So we've just gotten to that point where all of this is possible and where it can be self-supporting rather than just a bubble that comes up and you have this amazing little group of enlightened people and either it forms something bigger or it just dissipates in time after the you know, learned guru goes away or whatever, or it morphs into a religion and picks up lots of dogma and other sorts of things. You know, we've had that going on for a long time, but it's always regional. It's always been in the margins. It's never gone mainstream. Oh yes, we have billions of people who are religious, but that's more of a social event than it is, you know, really a deep spiritual event for many of those people. And it uh, it's always the spiritual side of it, the deep spiritual side of it, the growth at the being level, the change, the, you know, the evolution of consciousness has always been out in the margins. The mainstream, the big mass of humanity walks right by it. They haven't been really ready for it yet and they haven't really been exposed to it in a grand scale. Well, now that's different. So I think we have an opportunity today to see the very beginnings of something that is likely to be uh, an immense change in humanity altogether. Now that may be 50 years, it may be 100 years or 200 years from now. I don't. That doesn't mean that you know in the next five years, you know, we're going to see a a huge awakening, you know, spiritual awakening in the human population. 
that's probably not going to happen. But the tools are here now for that possibility to mature and to grow. And we've had thousands of people have been feeding this, like I say, for thousands of years. You know, Carl Jung, one of your one of your favorites, is one of those people that's been feeding this. You know, so have thousands of others been feeding this, and it all adds together. There's lots of different groups. You, know, you go on the internet, and you, you can find thousands of different groups that are working at this kind of thing from their own angle. You know, you talked about the the um, what did you say the the Michael papers uh, uh, Ingeborg. See, that's this one, and you have, you know, if you started to list all of these various groups, all of the all of the uh, the channeling that's come on from Seth speaks to you know lots of others, and you have all sorts of movements, and it just goes on and on and on. Even the New Age community and their new agey things contributes to this bigger picture. You know, we are more than just this physical self. There are other things involved. That's been building now. And all of this together has, you know, it's not just happened today, obviously. This has been building for a thousand years, 2000 years. So it's all coming together though now. It's all feeding off each other now. It's starting to be self-reinforcing, like a uh, what do we call it in in, uh, in physics? We have a uh, uh, you know a chain reaction. You have to get a critical mass before you can have a chain reaction. Once you get this critical mass, then the chain reaction you just keep on making more. But until you get that critical mass, it just fizzles out. You get something going, and eventually it fizzles out. There's not that critical mass to get it going. Well, we've got the technology to do that. So I think you're seeing the culmination of all of these thousands of years of spiritual effort and understanding starting to come together and form a critical mass. And whether I say like that may take another 50 years or maybe only two decades or maybe 200 years, you know, maybe 20 decades, but it's coming. And it is, it will happen, whether it happens this time or not, we don't know. You know, things could change here that put us back, you know, 100 years. You know, maybe we'll all go primitive. You know, maybe we'll all go uh, under, uh, you know, fascist regimes, you know, in the next decade or something. And we'll have a lot more warring and fighting and nastiness before we turn around and, and, and go forward again. Whatever, we are going to get there. It is our goal, and we eventually will make it. It's just now is the first time we can actually see the light at the end of the tunnel. It may take us a long time to get to the end of that tunnel, and that light may get darker and smaller for a while, but it's there. We can see it now, and that's why it seems to all be coming together. And that's my part to play in it is the part I'm playing here. And I have another part to play in it. That's a part I play in the non in the non physical. That's another part. So it's all playing. It's all part of a process that's been underway and been planned and working on for many many uh, centuries. So it's just now becoming obvious, and it's now being expressed in terms that uh, it's more inclusive. These little bubbles of enlightenment were kind of not so inclusive. Uh, eventually, you know, they were kind of this culture or that culture or this group of people. But uh, now you're seeing it turned into science, which is inclusive of everybody. It's now just logic, not poetry. So it doesn't really need a lot of interpretation. It just is. And that makes it more available to everyone so that's kind of the difference that we see now and why it's these are really exciting times you know, we're part of we're part of a groundswell you and i and everybody here and all the people that are going to listen to this video we're all part of a groundswell that is just the beginning of we humans taking a step forward in our evolutionary process can I ask something? Sure. 
Um, I remember, and uh, it's maybe the last interview that Terence McKenna did once. Um, Oliver translated it into good German, so I, I had the point that you got my intention out of it. Um, he talks about that um, the human race is right now doing the step out of the water into um, uh, the virtual reality. Like, like, are we going to do a step maybe in the next 100 years? Because he said we can't say what will happen in the next 20 years, the next 50 years. So he, he said it could be that we do the step out of the water and realize that we can live in that data reality. So maybe is, it, is there a possibility that we plop out of this physical matter reality altogether into the into the real virtual reality where we ever were before? Where, so you, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. Well, possibly that will be uh, that will be the case for some. Some will uh, move out of this process and into a into a different process, um, but. There will be plenty. There will be a vast majority who have a long way to go. Growth is still growth. And though it can doesn't have to be as slow as it has been, it still is going to take a lot of time. And there is going to be a need for teachers, for good examples, for people to come here and help others grow up. And it's going to be that way for a, a long while. So even when we get The eye, even when it becomes an acceptable thing, you know, these the spiritual ideas, the idea that love is the answer and that caring and sharing is what we're all about and lowering the entropy is the goal. If those become common ideas, well, that's mostly in the intellects of people. You still have an awful lot of work to do down at the being level. So I don't think that it will be any time soon that we all uh, kind of step out of this um, of this particular virtual reality and go on to something else, maybe in a very, very long time. I think almost as far out as I can look, you know, this kind of virtual reality will be needed because we don't have a, you know, it's not like there's N entities. It's not like there's a fixed number of individual units of consciousness and eventually this fixed number will all grow up. It's like there's new individual units of consciousness coming along all the time. And they will also need to go through this process and grow up. But things may change. This virtual reality may not be always like it is now. This could turn into a much kinder, much gentler, much more uh, supportive, much more caring place than it is now. And in that case, Those people that need that sort of environment to be in would be more likely to come here. And those that need the rough and tumble challenges like where we live now, they may end up having to go someplace else because this wouldn't have all those rough and tumble challenges anymore where, you know, you uh, constantly, uh, you know, are being challenged, uh, your ego and your fear and so on. So maybe some other virtual reality would offer that level of growth and our virtual reality would be a place that uh, was a little different than that, where the growth was maybe, uh, um, you know, more about incorporating into the being level and less about getting the ideas. Here, we're just trying to get the idea and hopefully some of it gets incorporated into the being level slowly. So I can see that our, our virtual reality probably won't go away, but it certainly could change its character dramatically, because where we're going is to become one human family. That's the, that's, that's kind of the end point where we become, humanity becomes like a larger entity in itself. You know, it becomes, uh, we are the pieces are cooperative, uh, sharing, working together for the mutual benefit of the whole kind of thing. And no, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, we have this collective thing where you get chained to a machine because that's your job. Everybody will have more free will, more choices, and will be doing what they want to do and like to do uh, than we have even can dream of here. And still will be a, uh, uh, you know, 
what did the three, what was the three musketeers say? One for all and all for one. You know, it'll be that kind of, uh, of, a, of an ethic uh, that will dominate the landscape. So I don't think we're gonna, re this, uh, this virtual reality won't become obsolete. It'll just change. It'll change its function somewhat. You know, Tom, I think we, we, we talked about this last month. You know, I think there is a big change happening. I think we're all feeling it. Um, we're getting there. We seem to be getting there at last as a species. There's a lot of networking going on. So uh, it's it's onwards and upwards. It is slow, but uh, it, it is definitely getting there. 